It's me, Roz. I'm doing good today. Been sending out some emails, getting us some new guests for the show coming up. And I was so happy to see how many people loved this conversation with Andrea Perrin. And so good news for you. There's more where that came from. So today will be the part two of uh, this conversation. And as always, go to patreon.com slash rosdrezfeles for little, little extra, some bonus clips. And this week, we'll be talking about the paranormal activity that happened on the set of the movie The Conjuring. And so I'll talk about what I know of some of the people involved in the film that had... Uh, stories to tell. I did speak to my friend uh, who was in the movie The Conjuring, and she pretty much just said (laughs) nothing happened to her, but that was her experience. But other people said other things happened. So um, you can hear about that, and you can hear about Andrea's experiences uh, when the movie was being made in a paranormal sense, her her spooky, spooky encounters, uh, while the movie was being made. So, patreon.com slash rosdrezfelez. And I want to do a listener episode, so please send me your listener stories to ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line, listener episode, and send them in quick. Okay, here we go with part two with Andrea Barron. On with the show! And what I saw, what I saw happen, um, not only solidified my faith in God as I prayed for my mother's life, but it also taught me that there is pure, unadulterated evil in the world. And it was is with that knowledge that I deliberately choose to live in the light. Mm-hmm. Evil does not it doesn't dare my oh mother my, my mother was attacked and some would say possessed and perhaps if she was technically it was for a very brief time mm-hmm. but my mother was attacked at that table because a medium who obviously didn't know what she was doing uh, threw open wide the doors to the netherworld and conjured the spirits and invited everything in to an already supremely haunted house. So to determine who the actual culprit was, that is spiritual malpractice. Mm. And whatever it was that came into my mother spoke in a language that does not exist on this planet and likely never did. My mother was screaming and writhing in pain her body wadded up into a ball on the seat that in the chair in which she was seated. 
I mean, literally, Roz, to the to the extent that you would expect to hear her bones breaking. Wow. Um, and and she threw her head back and howled like a banshee. And then her chair levitated and in a fraction of a second, she was tossed in the chair from the middle of our dining room, a good 20 feet away into the middle of our parlor. And when her head struck the floor, everyone who witnessed that was quite certain that they had just watched her die. Oh my God. So you want to talk about fucking childhood trauma? There it is. There yeah. it is. Right there. You know, I mean, um, <clears throat> wow, wow, wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear on your air, but. Uh, oh, you can say you whatever know, the fuck you want. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. It's really, it's an excellent word. I use it for punctuation <laughs> regularly. Um, so, but, uh, but I, since you mentioned this, I just have to ask, I mean, they were, they were filming this. I mean, does that, is that a. They have that they footage had, somewhere? They had um, photographers taking still photographs of this. Um, everything, the audio came out, nothing but white noise. <gasps> None of the photographs came out with any images on them at all. They were all black. And the two very expensive state-of-the-art cameras that had been set up on tripods in the basement um, when Mrs. Warren, well, all hell broke loose in the house and uh, my father tried to rush to my mother's side. Ed Warren grabbed him by the arm. My father turned around and punched him right in the face, took him to the floor uh, uh, using some <clears throat> extremely colorful language, banished everyone from the house. Uh, Lorraine Warren panicked. The Medium had collapsed and gone unconscious on the table. The priest was standing in the corner of the room, shaking, literally quaking in fear. And Lorraine sent the um, photographers down to gather up their cameras from the cellar. And they came back up about one minute later, sobbing because their cameras were in thousands of pieces all over the cellar, as if someone had folded up the tripod. And, you know, in the movie Signs, where uh, the pastor says, swing away, yep. it was like that's what had happened to those cameras. There was nothing wow. salvageable. And they ran out of the house. Um, everybody ran out of the house. They lifted the the. Um, medium up off the table and kind of semi carried her out with Mrs. Warren and the priest. Uh, Ed Warren's face was, you know, his nose was bleeding all over the place. It was a, it was a nightmare. What I mean, it was Jeez. in the truest sense of the word. It was awful. And they came back again just before Halloween in 1974. And the reason that they did was because apparently they saw that my father's car was not there. I don't think they would have come to the house if they had seen that he was home. But they came to the door, and I am certain that it was out of curiosity to see if my mother had survived that ordeal because she was unconscious when they left, and they didn't know if she had lived or died. And there was no communication with them after that? No, no, there wasn't. And so they showed up at the door and my mother opened the kitchen door and, you know, she said, what do you want? Did you bring my notebook back? Because she had asked repeatedly 
to have her notebook back. And Mrs. Warren said, no, we're just here to check on you. And my mother just closed the door. She said, we're done here. Yeah. She just closed the door. So, so you understand what I'm saying, Roz, when I say that The Conjuring bears no actual resemblance to the real story, because there are elements of the story that, you know, don't necessarily reflect well on yeah. Ed and Lorraine Warren. And, you know, I don't think that they, I, I personally do not think that they did anything. You know, they, Mrs. Warren even admitted that in public, that they were in over their heads when they crossed the threshold of that farmhouse. They did not know what they were walking into there. Um, <clears throat> and I think that they were, to the extent that they were able trying to help us, I, I just, I don't think that they understood what they were dealing with. And so in a, in a certain respect, they made matters worse yeah, because her presence certainly activated, you know, we had gone through a period prior to their arrival where things were relatively quiet, you know, not dormant, but certainly quieter. And from, you know, the night that she showed up, um, it got very active. Uh, it was almost like her energy released something. And she said to my mother the first night, she said, uh, well, you know, we knew about this back in September, but we didn't come until now because this is the time when the veil is thinnest. And my mother's like, what veil are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, the veil between, <clears throat> you know, life and the afterlife. And my mother just looked at her and shook her head. And she said, there's no veil here. Yeah. You could have come any time, day or night, any time of year and had the same experience. You know, there's there's no veil here. You know, if one exists at all, there's, you know, there's no scrim between this dimension and the next in this house. Yeah. I mean, when you think of the word conjuring, it almost sounds like that is when the conjuring happened. <laughs> You know, it seems yeah. like there was yeah. a lot of activity and then you she it's conjured her, up more. Yeah, it's when I told them about when I told the screenwriters uh, and they read my books and but I, I had extensive conversations with them uh, as they were crafting the screenplay. And when I told them about what actually happened at the seance and then, of course, they said, well, you know, we can't really put that in there because, you know, this is about the Warrens and <clears throat> it, uh, it, you know, does not necessarily reflect well on them. Uh, decisions, big mistakes were made, you know, and I don't think that they were deliberate uh, by any means, but they were mistakes and one that almost cost my mother her life. And so naturally that material was not going to make it into the conjuring. Right. Um, but it was me talking about the medium and my use of the phrase conjuring the spirits that actually they clipped and used as the name of the film. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, in the defense of the Warrens, they, you know, I think the word trailblazer gets used a lot to describe what they did because they certainly got the word out and they certainly yeah. they, you know, educated them, people. But yeah, when, they're pioneers in the field for sure. Exactly, and but but when you're figuring this stuff out, it is you, you're gonna make mistakes. You know, you're gonna you gotta experiment a bit, and it's tough when you're talking about real people and 
and yeah. real harmful situations. So it's just a, a bit more of the activity between the time you guys moved in and the first visit of Ed and Lorraine Warren. What was happening? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start, right? God. <clears throat> So much happened that Ed and Lorraine Warren don't even show up in my books until volume two. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Are we talking every day? Are we talking yes. five times a day? What do you think? I mean, it's hard to say, I'm sure, but yeah, uh, constant. It, it was, it was, um, I would say pretty chronic, pretty constant, you know, some low level stuff, some major manifestations occurred. Um, it was, uh, well, you know, I wrote the books. Um, the trilogy is written in, in an unusual and a rather challenging way. Um, there were so many incidents, Roz, that, I mean, I begin the books in Cumberland before we even move to the farm so that people can understand the dynamics that were at play and can be introduced to my family as a perfectly normal family and then watch every single thing fall into place that had to fall precisely into place the way that it did for us to be catapulted to the farm. It was almost like a convergence of, of events that had to happen exactly the way that they did in order for us to end up with that farmhouse as though it was a cosmic conspiracy. Mm. Um, and, but then from the point where we've moved to the farm. Um, the books are broken up into 10 chapters with a multitude of subchapters, And it's written according to the type of haunting that occurred because there were, you know, there were so many different ways that they manifested that um, it really, it, it requests that the reader suspend the notion of linear time. Mm. For instance, there could be uh, one subchapter about an event that happened to Cindy when she was 10. And the very next story could be something that happened to Cindy when she was 16. And, you know, a, a pragmatic linear thinker that can't challenge that would say, oh my God, I just lost six years. Well, no, you didn't. Ask yourself, just pause and reflect for a moment. What is the point of correlation and integration between these two events and, you know, broad spectrum extrapolate out that this happened to this child over and over and over again, over the course of 10 years living in that house. Um, and then the, uh, the end of, um, well, about halfway through volume three, as we're preparing to leave the farm, it all goes, you know, completely chronological on you again. But in the midst of it, it is a swirling mass of timelessness. And if you are able to suspend the notion of linear time and suspend disbelief, because there are stories in these books that are quite literally unbelievable. Like if I hadn't lived it, I can't tell you that I would believe it. Mm -hmm. So if you can do that and then know that at the end of the trilogy, it will be like a freaking Venn diagram 
in your mind, in your mind's eye, you'll see the entire chronology of what transpired and how and when. Um, a lot of my readers write to me and they very frequently say the same thing over and over again. It's like I lived there with you. Like I know every single member of your family intimately well. Like I experienced everything that you experienced. Like I'm part of your story. And it ripped my heart out and handed it back to me healed. Now, how can that happen? Well, I definitely want people listening to this to go check out your books. And where, where are the, where's your preferred way for people to get your books? Oh, um, they're available on Amazon. That's the quickest and cheapest way to get them. I mean, okay. you can download them on a, a an e-reader for, I think, $12 for the whole series. Um, you know, they're about 500 pages a piece. So, Oh, my God. Know. So when I think when, when we talk about like your family's relationship to this stuff. So your dad was skeptical for a while. Right. And yeah. at, at what point did he come around? Well, he was actually having he didn't realize that, you know, he was. Oh, my father is thick headed Frenchman. Um, I mean, really obtuse and difficult at times, truly. And um, he just was like king of denial. He, he actually it took him more than 40 years to admit that he was terrified that he had moved his family into an environment that he had absolutely no control over at all. Mm. Um, and he, before he finally admitted what was going on in the house, he had several experiences of his own. The, the spirit that he thinks it was the spirit that was trying to get my mother out of the house and kept manifesting and, you know, being very covetous of us, the children, um, had had a thing for my father and she really? would, yeah and she would touch him and stroke his back and when he had to go down and fix something in the cellar she was on him like white on rice and he had several experiences with her before he ever divulged it to my mother number one he didn't want to be wrong um, and he had been so belligerent about you know there's no ghosts in this house you girls you know have vivid imaginations uh you, you know that's a dream it's you know i mean whatever he dismissed it out of hand which left us feeling very abandoned as children because we knew that mom was having some kind of issue and she obviously wasn't sharing it with her little kids and we didn't have a father that we could go to with the experiences that we were having because if he didn't believe mom, he wasn't going to believe us. So the first couple of years were, were really tough. Um, and, you know, several things happened. Uh, major, major manifestations occurred in the house. And the last huge one um, that turned him where he couldn't deny it anymore uh, my mother had had an experience and he was laying right, right beside her, lying right there in, in bed beside her um, in what she could only describe as a trance-like state. Like she was convinced that he was dead and she was next because she could not wake him. 
um, and the whole room filled with all the spirits of the house. And, and a number of them were pounding lighted torches on the floors. It was so loud, she had to cover her ears. And they were, you know, just staring like blank, vacant stares. And even the children um, of the house were standing around the bottom of her bed. And one of the spirits emerged from the group and leaned over her and said, "'Twas mistress once afore ye came, and mistress here will be anon, will drive ye out with fiery broom, will drive ye mad with death and gloom." And the incantation went on and on. Well, the next morning, and the clock stopped at 5.15 a.m., which it always did whenever there was a major manifestation in the house. Um, and the next morning, my mother's hands were trembling. She was trying, you know, uh, just frantically to, to draw everything that she saw in the room that night. Um, it was horrific for her. And my father insisted that she see a psychiatrist. And she was, you know, absolutely um, opposed to it. She's like, I'm not crazy, Roger. Uh, you know, I, you know, don't even, don't even intimate that I'm crazy. You know, the, the, just because you don't believe in spirits doesn't mean they don't belong in you. And your belief in them is, you know, their, their existence isn't contingent upon your belief in them. I mean, you know, I mean, they really went at it. Um, but, you know, she finally acquiesced, you know, he tried to explain it's out of his concern for her and that he wanted to hypnotize her. And my father learned um, hypnotism when he was in the Navy and he, you know, he didn't use it much, but he knew how to do it. And he took her to a friend of his who happened to be a psychiatrist that he knew from the business world and um, hypnotized her in his presence so that he would have a witness to what happened. And my mother, you know, my father will be the first one to tell you, you can't lie under hypnosis. You can't. Um, and he brought her all the way back to, you know, every experience that she had at the farm, including the one that had most recently happened. And she quoted line for line, word for word, the incantation that she uh, you know, had chanted at her. And um, his doubt was gone. Wow. He knew she was telling him the truth uh, and that she was telling him, you know, she had told him everything that had happened in the house and had told him everything that had happened to us in the house. And so there was a, an emotional disconnect, kind of a cognitive dissonance that happened for the first couple of years in the family. And frankly, um, we didn't have the same level of trust in our father to have our backs because mm -hmm. we felt uh, a decided sense of abandonment around this issue. Like we were on our own, you know, the six girls, mother and her five daughters were on our own. He wasn't going to do anything or not that he really could. Um, but he told me when I was writing the books um, and cried when he told me, he said, Annie, I was scared. 
I was scared. I didn't know how to handle it. And the best way to not handle it was to deny it. So, you know, what kind of toll is this taking on you and and your sisters going to school and, you know, just being kids? You know, was it really, did did it become just a normal thing or did it, you know... I know your sister said she was always in fear, but how, how was that for you guys? Well, we all dealt with it differently, Roz. Mm-hmm. Every one of us dealt with it differently. Um, I became like the surrogate parent. I was like, you know, parent number three. Um, because I had to step in. Um, my mother was wasting away. She was living on coffee and cigarettes. She was constantly agitated in a state of heightened anxiety, uh, always watchful, looking over her shoulder. She didn't know what was coming next. She didn't know what was going to happen to her kids. You know, there were literally life-threatening events that happened in that house. And she tried everything she could to get us out of the, the sale. She, you know, contacted our family attorney and had him... Uh, research, you know, if there were any other cases uh, of hauntings that were so extreme that, you know, uh, uh, purchase and sales agreement could be null and voided for it. Um, and there weren't. There were only two cases in Ro- in Rhode Island uh, in the history of the court, and both of them were laughed out of the court. You know, uh, the last time that anybody even tried it, the judge said, you know, I'm sorry, but if I can't see it, I'm not ruling on it. You know, and uh, so we just didn't really have a choice. And and then also it was it was like it was like what conspired to get us there, likewise conspired to keep us there. Um, The uh, economy was tanking. Uh, Housing prices were plummeting. The uh, cartel was founded in the Middle East and oil prices went through the roof. Uh, you could only buy gasoline every other day, depending on if you had an odd or even number uh, on your license plate. Um, it was uh, a ridiculously difficult time to live through the early 70s. Uh, it was rough. Um, you know, plus all of this other, you know, stuff is happening in the house and uh you know, the house had a bit of a reputation. So naturally, when people discovered that we had moved into it, they wanted to know, is anything happening? Is anything happening? Plus, you know, we were raised to be honest children. And when we made friends, we started sharing things with them. And then the rumors started and that Mm -hmm. burgeoned into something that got so out of hand that I was called into the principal's office one day. I think I was in the 10th grade in the college accelerated program. Um, And I was, uh, you know, I was a goody two shoes, pretty much straight A student. And I got called to the principal's office and threatened with expulsion by the principal who said, if I get one more phone call from one more parent whose kid came home and started talking about your ghosts, you shut your mouth and stop lying or you are out of here and I'll make sure you don't ever get into another school. I mean, he was absolutely horrible to me. I mean, like physically 
abused me that day, pushed me up against oh a wall, God. both of his hands planted in both of my shoulders and pushed me up against a wall and said, you shut your mouth. And that was the last of it. I was, you know, destined for college. I had big plans. I was going to be a professor. I was going to, you know, I already knew what I wanted to do with my life. And um, and talking about what was happening at our house threatened all of that. So I shut up and I told my sisters to do the same thing. And your family was there until 81, is that right? No, we left in June of 1980. 80. And so, so the, you move out and you go on. I mean, did you, at what point were you more comfortable talking about all of this? 2008. Really? I never mentioned anything about it for ever to anybody. Even wow. my best friend from college didn't know that I was still living in a haunted house when I was off at college. Oh I mean, God. I just didn't talk about it at all because people are judgmental. And, you know, if you think it's a taboo subject now, you know, go back 50 years. Sure. I mean, it was January of, of uh, 1971 that we moved into that house. That was 50 years ago. And it was 50 years in January. Um, and, uh, you know, it was not something that was discussed in polite company. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Mr. Kenyon didn't want to discuss it with my parents, um, even though we feel certain that there was a reason he left the lights on every single night. Uh, he lived there with his wife for many years. They raised a son there. And I feel certain that things happened in that house and that the reason that the lights were on was either to hold them at bay or to at least see what was coming at you. Oh, yeah. So when did the movie, you know, the talks of the movie start happening. I mean, you, so you, you write the books. Um, did they approach you because of your books or no, it no. was because of the Warren. They, they were going to make stories yeah, about the Warrens. The Warrens wanted permission uh, to tell our story. And I had already started writing the books, but the first one wasn't even published yet. Okay. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of, uh, uh, budding hopeful screenwriters that contact me all the time. Can you put me in touch with a movie company? I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, but Warner Brothers came to me. It wasn't the other way around. I didn't go seeking any attention for this. I was just starting the books when um, I got a call from a movie producer that had actually called the woman who owned the house at the time. And she uh, she called me and said, there's a movie producer that wants to talk to you about, uh, you know, telling your story. And can I give him your number? Um, she has since lied through her teeth about that, but that's exactly what happened. Um, and uh, so I said, yeah. And I spoke to him and it turned out to be one of the executive producers of The Conjuring. And that was in 2007. That was in 
September or October of 2007. And I started writing the books in August of that year. Now, did those people that moved in after you guys, did they have stories like this as well? Not that they're willing to speak of publicly. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. But now what was it about that time of you writing the book that you're like, okay, it's time? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I had a, you know, I had a pretty good gig going. Um, I was a clinical, uh, I worked in a clinical capacity as a counselor at a private school. Um, I was a member of the theater company of Rhode Island. You know, I did stage plays at night, worked all day and went up to the theater and rehearsed all night. Oh my no, gosh, she's a theater no, queen. I am a theater, total theater geek. I am, it's ridiculous. Same. Um, you know, I mean, really, honestly. Oh God, could we talk? Oh. Why didn't um, they put you in the movie? Uh, now I'm oh, mad. No, 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 no. I didn't want any... No, I, I, I guess I knew that it wouldn't be an accurate reflection of my family or our story. Yeah. Um, and um, I just, no, I was a consultant on the film. Uh, yeah, and how much were you book. involved? Um, I told them a whole bunch of stuff. They used what they wanted. And um, uh, I went out to the set once with my family, minus my mother who backed out on the trip at the very last minute. And interestingly, you know, everybody that was involved with that film was out on the set, except my mother and Lily Taylor, the two matriarchs. Lily did not come out to the set that day. She did not want to meet my family before the film was over. Well, and it's so interesting because like, it is based on a true story, which... Anytime I see based on true story, I always say, well, so my wigs are based on a true story. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're real. Right. Uh, You know, is it a grain of salt or is it a pound of salt? You know, (laughs) you don't know. Exactly. So, I mean, you you were in, you, before the movie came out, you were ready, you know, did you guys have conversations with each other and go, you know, this is, it's not going to be exactly, you know, it's, 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 we're very, we're inspiring this. Cause it's also weird because they use your real names and stuff. Yeah. Um, they had permission to do that. And basically, you know, we were told uh, by one of their attorneys, we're making this movie, whether or not your names are attached, we'll just tell the story and change the names. If you don't, you know, want any part of this. Ah. And so, you know, I already had two of the three books out. You know, what the hell was I supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. I just I told him, yeah, I said, but I, I want I want input. You know, I want input. And so um, I coordinated with uh, producers and executive producers and, you know, they listened to me and then they did precisely what they wanted to do. Um And but, you know, and like I said before, I don't mean to criticize because they they did something that was impossible, you know, to compress a story that big into one hour and 52 minutes um, is, you know, of an impossible feat. Um, Mm -hmm. And frankly, I wouldn't be one of the very best uh, authors. you know, bestsellers in paranormal had it not been for The Conjuring. You know, nobody would know our story. My books would be languishing in obscurity. 
like so many other millions of books do because, uh, you know, no feature film was ever made from the premise, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm very grateful to The Conjuring, but there were cosmic kisses there. The, you know, the, the universe told me this is okay. Um, and and for, for a number of reasons, Ross, there were uh, several things. So the first time I saw that film uh, and, you know, the New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers crew uh, brought me out to California uh, three months before it premiered. Uh, and I brought my sister Cindy with me and Lorraine Warren was there with her son-in-law. So the four of us are sitting in the big vacuumous theater on the Warner Brothers lot watching this film for the first time. And there's a scene where the camera pans around into what was my bedroom. And there's a folk art art drawing of a white cat that's propped up on the mantelboard. And I'm staring at that picture right now. They had no idea I, I don't know if it's paint by number or if it was just something popular in the 70s that they found, you know, in their props department. But why out of everything that they could have chosen, uh, did they choose this picture that's hanging here in my office that was given to me when I was 13 years old and we lived at the farm and I've had it all these years. I've had it for 49 years. Wow. And, and there it is with a wooden peace sign hanging next to it that I also had. Now, you know, I didn't know the set designer. I didn't know, you know, I I never told anybody. Uh, They never saw any interior shots to my knowledge of the farmhouse. And yet they chose out of more than 25,000 wallpaper patterns, they chose the exact one that we had in the farm. That's crazy. You know, that Cindy goes, you know, little Mackenzie goes running through the house holding a pair, a set of wind chimes that were identical to the ones that we had hanging on our front porch. You know, what the hell is that? How can (laughs) you really see any pictures? Because when I was watching you guys on Kindred Spirits going back to that house, I mean, again, I've seen the movie. I love the Conjuring movies. I've seen that one at least five times in my life. And so I kind of have an idea of what it looks like in the movie. And I feel like it kind of like looks like the real one, right? I mean, I'm sure for you living in it, you can f- figure out yeah, all the different no, ways. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it at all. Yeah. Not even because uh, we were in that house and it bears no resemblance to it whatsoever. Well, I it's saw pictures. It used house. to be white, right? When you lived yes, there? it used to be white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, the house that they used in they had to go up into the trees and pull out all the Spanish moss because, of course, Rhode Island doesn't have Spanish moss. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it had a, a river um, running behind it. Um and uh, and we had a river running behind our house. So, you know, they, they shot for some element of authenticity. Uh, it's had the same kind of spooky feeling as as our house did, but it really didn't in any way look like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I just felt like uh, kind of the essence or like maybe the basement yes. or I don't know. I yeah. just kind of got a vibe where I was like, this kind of seems like it. But yeah, it yeah, does. I, I understand. It really does. But no, they never... They asked me for um, two photographs 
they asked for a photograph of our entire family together. Um, and we didn't have one because we were the ones taking the pictures. So the Easter before we moved to the farm um, in 1970, uh, we had a picture of uh, the five of us, my sisters, that either my mother and my father took. And then I took a picture of my mother and my father and they kind of spliced it together and made the parent family. Um, mm. So, cause they wanted to have, you know, an original picture of our family as close to when we moved to the farm as possible. And that's, you know, the photographs that I sent them, the original photographs. And then when they were done with them, they sent them back to me. So that was a leap of faith, sending the only copies of those photographs out to California. And I was very grateful to get them back in exactly the same shape that they left. Oh, that's nice. Um, <clears throat> so, um, what is it yeah. like when you go back there? To the farm? Yeah. No, oh, I love it. It's the only place that has ever felt like home to me my whole life. Really? Every place else feels temporary. It's the only sense of permanence that I've ever had on this planet. Wow. And how often do you go back? As often as I can. But there was a real breakdown between the previous owner and myself when the film came out. Um, mm. And, you know, she basically uh denied you know after years and years and years of of dragging one paranormal investigative team after another through that farmhouse when the movie came out she went on national tv and said go away no ghosts here the parent family made it all up which was you know a bold-faced lie and she knew it wow. um and uh she just wanted people to stop trespassing on her property and i get that but yeah. you don't need to make you know my family the scapegoat i mean you know she was on ghost hunters okay back in the like you know decades before when that show first premiered i didn't call them and send them to her she did you know so <laughs> i mean I, I could i could go on for an hour about well, that and it's uh, negative and i don't want to you know she doesn't live there anymore the new owners um have been very gracious to me have given me complete total access to the house i've been there probably five or six times since they bought it um and, well, and they uh, certainly um you know support you you and your family's claims i mean oh, yeah. I, I happen to know that their daughter is really big on TikTok for the kids yeah. and she yeah. talks a lot about how haunted the house is and they open oh, it up to people. Madison. She's yeah. great. She's awesome. Both of the kids are. Well, because they are paranormal investigators, so they get right. it. And, um, and it's cool that they give people an opportunity to stay there. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've really opened it up to the world. And, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword um, because, you know, they've copped a lot of criticism for doing it, especially from the previous owner. Um, but uh, to me, if it's done responsibly uh, and if it's done respectfully, mm -hmm. then I think it's fine because it gives people an opportunity to feel the energy of that place, to experience that place in a way that they couldn't in, you know, in any other capacity. And yeah. also, you know, not for nothing, but every time somebody catches one more piece of undeniable evidence it just it serves to validate and vindicate our story 
Exactly. Not that I care because I know what we experienced. I know there's something beyond our more our mortal existence. I just looked at the time and you've been so generous. I feel like we should probably wrap it up. Um, but I would, I would just like to wrap you in my arms and give you a squeeze. <laughs> I you hope know. you and I become friends. And I hope that when you... Uh, I thought that already happened. <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, all and right. So, yeah, don't past tense me. Yeah. Or future tense me, you know? <laughs> well, when you're out here, we ha- I, I would love to take you to lunch or something if you have the time. Oh, but, wonderful. You know, wonderful. I want to say that um, you know a big part of doing this podcast and having fun with it and talking to people of all walks of life that have had these experiences, I, I really like to advocate for people that have, that have had these experiences and the trauma that comes with them. And especially, you know, people telling them that they're liars um, or, you know, just anything that they're crazy, that they're making it up, whatever, like that really is, um, they can really do a number to people. And of course, also the activity that people can experience. And so I think it's so powerful to have people speak up about it. Um, You know, it's, of course, it's up to people, whatever they want to do with their stories. But I really appreciate the fact that you are so vocal and so open to sharing about this stuff. I couldn't have written the books if I cared anymore what people thought. Um, because mm-hmm. I knew that I would be opening myself and my family up to all kinds of, you know, criticism and scrutiny. I don't care. You know, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. I'm not. It was time to tell this story. It was time yeah. to put it out into the world. There are millions and millions of people that have been touched by spirit in this world. And, you know, <clears throat> The three most powerful words in this language or any other are, I love you. But the second most powerful are, I believe you. And writing this story, writing this trilogy of books and, you know, my endless readers that find me, that seek me out at different events around the country, they, they weep in my arms I mean, they'll literally come and give me a hug and start crying and thank me for having the courage to tell our story because it has liberated them to tell their own, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's powerful stuff. And I don't care who says what I don't read, you know, I I don't read the comments on YouTube. I don't read, you know, I, I don't, I don't care. You know, 99% of these people I've never met. I don't know. They don't know my family. You know, everybody's got an opinion. Um, I don't care. If I did, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did around this, you know, and and those that say, oh, you did it for fame and fortune. Yeah, it took me a decade to become an overnight sensation, first and foremost. (laughs) No, I'm not rich, you jerk. And, you know, on top of that, um, I don't see why. If I did this work, I shouldn't be compensated for it and be allowed to sell my books in the world. You know, what's what's wrong with that? Why does that make me different than any other author? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 it's just 
willful ignorance on the part of some people. They got too much time on their hands. And I don't I don't give a damn. I you know, I'm like, <laughs> frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Um, but, you know, I, I will tell you this, you know, the upside to this is that I have met so many extraordinary people, Roz, yourself included, that I never, ever would have known had I not been brave enough to sit down and tell our story. And for those who say that my family is lying, let me tell you, this is probably the most well-documented haunting not only in American history, but probably in world history. There are mentions of this story going back more than 40 years in books that have been written starting in the 1980s that we didn't even know about. Wow. You know, Rosemary Ellen Guiley wrote about our story in the Encyclopedia of Ghosts and Spirits, and I didn't even know about that until 2010. You know, I mean, this is an extremely well-documented story. And I, I found that where it had been documented, there were inaccuracies. And I thought that it deserved to be told truthfully, authentically, honestly, and organically. And so that's what I did. And for anybody that thinks that I tethered myself to a computer for seven years of my life to the exclusion of all else in the prime of my life to concoct one big, fat, elaborate lie is delusional. So I give no credence to their commentary. Wow. I'm inspired. Can you tell people, you know, where to uh, find you? Because I know you have a show as well. Yeah. I I'm going to be uh, on it at some point soon. Oh, you are going to be on it. I already booked you. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, it's called The World Awakening, and it's on my Andrea Perrin YouTube channel. I started it again. I used to do it several years ago with George Lopez, the sit down comedian. And um, it was just a blog talk audio. Uh, but now it's video. I'm on StreamYard. My producer is Tony Rathman. And I bring on a very wide variety of people in the field, a real eclectic mix of people. Um, it's just it's delightful. It's lovely. It's delirious. And um uh, they can find me just all they have to do is Google my name. Just Google me. I know that sounds dirty, but it's really not. And <laughs> I'm everywhere omnipresent like spirits. Um, I have five Facebook pages. You can find me at Andrea Perrin Facebook. My fan page is called the Buttercup Brigade. We're the good deed doers that wear rose colored glasses. It's a really cushy, nice, soft, fluffy space to land in cyberspace. Um, and I have a, um, a website which is really stale and old, and I'll tell you when I update it, but it's House of Darkness, House of Light.com. Um, and I have book pages for my books in a flicker that I wrote with George, which is very dark. And if you're into Jack the Ripper, it'll blow your mind. It's his story. I just, you know, put it in print for him, but he, I could never have come up with it, Roz. It's so brilliant. Oh my God, he's so brilliant. Um, but it's uh, called In a Flicker and it's about time travel and Jack the Ripper and it's really fabulous. Um, and um, I have, so I have an In a Flicker page. I have uh, House of Darkness, House of Light book page, book and author page on Facebook. And I have a page for my new book, which I'm re-releasing called A Wonder to Behold. And you can only buy it privately from me um, for the first edition, but I'm coming out with the extended edition with extra photographs and extra material in hardbound this year. 
Um, and it's all about extraterrestrials. And so the next time I'm on your show, we'll talk about what my mother refers to as my little friends. Oh, my God. Yes, because we haven't even gotten to... We didn't even touch it. We didn't even... T- There's so much because, yeah, like in Amy Bruni's book, she talks about you conjuring UFOs in front of her. I mean... There's just so much. And I, I would so appreciate if you ever wanted to come back. I would love to talk to you. I mean, you certainly keep busy. And you also do the, all the, the conventions and stuff. Oh, know, I you, do. Yeah. you know, until COVID. But, right. um, you know, um, I'm heading back out on the road. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm ready to go. You know, our cases are dropping nationwide. And it's been a, a very uh, introspective, reflective year for me to spend at home doing a lot of writing and, uh, you know, getting on the internet and going all over the world on Zoom. Um, You know, I mean, humans find a way. And uh, thank God we had the internet and it didn't crash, you know, when the whole world shut down because of this uh, virus. But um, yeah, it's been, it's actually been good for me. in that respect, because I am very much a homebody and, you know, but when I get back out in the world, you know, I take people out by the hundreds and thousands out into, you know, um, areas that are open where the sky is completely open. And I sing that's, you know, I, I just sing to them and they come in numbers that you could not even wrap your mind around and I'm not just the old ghost lady. I'm the E.T. lady, too. What's your favorite song to, to sing for the UFOs? Um, the Nearness of You. Well, you should hear the theme song to this show. They might like it. It's me. Okay, I recorded cool. it myself. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. I'll put it in my E.T. playlist. <laughs> Um, and, and I hope that I, I would, it would be so great to see you, um, doing some theater. Yeah, no, 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 I'm you're done. done no, I'm all done. <laughs> Not unless my ass is in the audience. Oh my God. You know, no, I, I did it for 20, almost 25 years, wow. uh, that I was a stage actor and, you know, really into musicals. Although I love doing straight plays as well. Uh, no, I'm, I'm done playing other people now. I'm just me. I love that. Oh, I love Andrea Barron. So happy we met. And hopefully she'll be back because there's so much more to talk about. And again, thank you to Patrick Keller for connecting us. And uh, go to patreon.com slash Falaz for a little bit more. And for, you know, all months and months of content, videos, bonus clips, all that stuff. It helps me out a lot. And um, yeah, please rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. And um, if you have a ghost story, you could leave it there in a five-star review. Maybe I'll read it on the show. You could also... 
send me a ghost story on the Facebook group, Ghosted by Roz Drez-Velez. I want your listener stories for listener episode extravaganzas. So email those to ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line listener episode. And please spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell that, that weird person you know that is in your life that would appreciate the weirdness that happens here. <laughs> I love you all both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye! Star Bands Audio, a podcast network.